Looking for a great tasting fresh fish dinner and Ozzy isn't around to catch it and prepare it for you? Blue Apron has got you covered. Have gourmet homemade meals anytime you want with Blue Apron. They send all the ingredients and easy to follow recipes right to your door. Get three meals for free when you sign up. BlueApron.com slash Rob. That's three free Blue Apron meals when you sign up at BlueApron.com slash Rob. Hey everybody, what's going on? Rob Sisternino back here with Game Changers Survivor Cast Preview number five. That's right. And we've got a really fun one today as we are going to be talking about the survivor experience of first Ozzy Loose. Here he is back for his fourth time. Have a really fun retrospective and preview of all things Ozzy here with Tyler Kakuno first. And then we're going to switch gears and talk about the return of Debbie Wanner to Survivor with Shannon Gates all coming up here in this podcast. On Friday, I posted our previous Game Changers episode where we talked about Aubrey and Troyzan. That's currently up on the website. If you missed anything that we've done in the preseason, you want to check it out, you can go to robhasthewebsite.com slash S34. Or of course, you could subscribe to the podcast anytime by going to robhasthewebsite.com slash iTunes. So first up today is Ozzy, and Ozzy's return is an interesting one to Survivor. I certainly have not seen a ton of enthusiasm from the fans that I've been talking to about Ozzy's return, but Tyler Kakuno is going to join me to talk about why he thinks Ozzy is a pretty underrated player in Survivor history. I think he makes a lot of interesting arguments to support that claim. I hope you'll enjoy the interview. Here it is, my conversation with Tyler Kakuno about Ozzy 4.0. The casuals love this guy, but in the super fan community, even the super duper fan community, there are a lot of people who are not super high on this player. And today to talk about his arc on Survivor, somebody who is a super duper fan and is very high on Ozzy Loose. This is Tyler Kakuno. Hey, how's it going, Rob? How are you today? I'm doing very good, Tyler, and I'm excited to do a deep dive into much like Ozzy would do into the ocean, a deep dive into Ozzy. It's ironic and I'm excited. Okay. Good. So let's get into talking about Ozzy. Ozzy 4.0. Can you believe it, Tyler? Yeah, I could believe it. I mean, he's obviously one of the most popular survivors ever. I'm shocked he wanted to play again, but I'm not shocked they brought him back. But I'm excited for it. Now, Tyler, just tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that many members of the RHAP patron community uh, know you particularly well. But for the uninitiated, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm just a 20-year-old kid who lives with his grandma in Vancouver. There's not much to me. I've been a Survivor fan since the beginning. I've grown up with it. I'm very vocal with my opinions in the Rob as a patron group. And he should become a patron, too. It's very fun. And... Yeah, that's basically me. I uh, I feel like I'm very intelligent when it comes to the topic of Survivor, but maybe we'll be proven wrong with this. And humble. I'm yes. Humble, just like Ozzy. Yes. Okay. You guys have that in common. All right. We have that in common. <laughs> and that ends there. <laughs> when I put out the call for people to tell us why you should be a game changer expert, you came out uh, and wrote a very impassioned plea about why you needed to talk about Ozzy. Can you share with the audience your love of Ozzy? When I first saw Cook Islands, I was a 10-year-old boy, right? So, like, I wasn't, like, as into Survivor as I am now, 
but I just loved watching the challenges. I thought he was so cool. I wanted to be just like him. And 10 years later, here I am, and I still have the same feelings towards Ozzy. I think that he played a great game in Cook Islands. Not going to say he played great in Micronesia, and I think he played a great game in South Pacific. And I, when I started going online and, you know, discussing this driver with other super fans, I noticed that they really poo-poo his game. They don't give it the credit I think it deserves. Just because I think the way he plays the game, a lot of super fans don't like it. So therefore they say it's bad. And I just want to show everyone here that, no, it's not bad. It's a different way of playing the game for sure. But it's actually extremely good. And I think he is a fantastic player, actually. What's interesting is that you picked up your love of Ozzy as a 10-year-old. And I do feel like that the very young viewers of the show, that's like his key demo. He really does have a lot of fans who are the young people who are just starting off watching the show. Yeah, for sure. He really embodies like the young kids. Because the kids, they watch the show for the challenges, for like the action. They don't really understand the strategy as much. He was always depicted, certainly in his first season, as sort of like the Mowgli Jungle Book character, the kid who belonged in the jungle, where everybody else is sort of out of place. He was the person always at home in nature. That was him for sure. I kind of, um, who he reminded me of, I think he was what they were trying to get with when they casted Ian from Survivor Palau. I think they wanted this outdoorsy guy, loves the water, you know, not like, he's not a super buff guy. He's not, like, he doesn't look that intimidating, but you get, like, this jungle guy into the wild, and you just want to watch him thrive. And I think he delivered that perfectly, and the fact that he's back for a fourth time proves that it worked. He was a great casting choice, and I'm glad he's here. Are you surprised, based on what you know about Ozzy, that he would come back and play again? Um, no, I'm not surprised. I imagine, like, I, I really like Ozzy, but I don't think he has much going on in his life. I like, disagree mm-hmm. that I think he does have a lot going on. I mean, just to, to be upfront about my personal opinions, you know, I definitely get what everybody has to say about him on the show. But the times that I've met him in real life, I thought he was always a really nice guy. So oh. I think that's just uh, so I have a, probably a higher opinion of Ozzy than most. Uh, again, not necessarily as one of the ultimate strategists of the game, but I do feel like that as somebody who's met him, I think he's a good guy. Oh, I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm just saying, like, I don't think he has the same job commitments or career commitments that other players do, which would stop them. No, from and I'm telling you, I think you're wrong about that. That I think. Oh, that really? That, I oh. mean, if you follow him on Instagram, I think he's uh, into a lot of different entrepreneurial ventures. So I think that he has a he. I think he that there's a perception I think of him that he oh he's just like a waiter, but he really does have a lot going on in terms of like uh, bars and restaurants that he's trying to launch. So oh, well. just to be upfront about that, and I don't want to come off as too much of an Aussie apologist. Well. But, Oh, good for you, Rob. You're making me like Oz even more. I'm even a bigger fan than I was earlier. Well, again, well, he's, he's somebody who has a lot of perceptions about him. So hopefully you can uh, correct some of those that even I may have about his games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just saying that's also what I love about Survivor in general and Ozzy. The fact that there's so much perception of him. You have the casual, well, I don't want to say casual fans, but like, you know, the fans who are who aren't as into the show as other people are. And they love him. They think he may be the best player of all time. And that is wrong. I'm not here to support that. I don't think he is the best. I don't think he's close to being the best. But they completely overrate him. And I think the super-duper fans tend to completely underrate him. So I really don't think there's a place in the internet 
or like anywhere really where Aussie's game is properly rated. And I find that really interesting about him a lot. Okay, so today let's make this be that place. Okay, so let's go back and talk about Ozzy's arc through these three seasons that he played. And let's talk about the Ozzy of Survivor Cook Islands, uh, which you have gone back and rewatched. What were some of the things that you discovered or relearned about Ozzy on your whatever viewing this is for you of Cook Islands? Um, well, I haven't watched Cook Islands in a while, and I wonder if the perception is that Ozzy's a douche, that Ozzy's kind of going to be this arrogant guy and people aren't going to really like him because a lot of the things you'll hear from people is like, Ozzy's social game sucks. That was not true at all in my rewatch of Cook Islands. People really liked Ozzy out there. They had a lot of respect for him and they did not, they weren't just like, they didn't think of him as, as an entitled guy, except for Jonathan Penner, which happens in the final tribal council. But he was just a well-liked guy. He was nice to people. He got along well with um, everyone. Even uh, when he was voting off Billy in the second episode, and he threw the challenge to get rid of him, Billy even says in, when he's voting Ozzy, he's like, look, it's not that I think you're a bad guy. I just think you're the biggest threat out here. I have a lot of respect for you. So, like, Ozzy's really respected and well-liked, which I think a lot of the fans don't realize. I think they just assume he's just good in challenges, and other than that, he's just complete douche to everyone, which isn't true at all. Penner does really kill him at that final tribal council. Penner says, and I have the final tribal transcripts from the great Catherine Lucas, who says, Ozzy, you are obviously extremely talented, but with the enviable ability to win these challenges and do almost supernatural things, or at least superhuman things. But on occasion, I have found you arrogant. I have found you with an attitude of entitlement. You act as if you are a prince to me. No, I mean that honestly. I'm a little uncomfortable giving you a million dollars as a 25-year-old kid that I perceive as having some issues of entitlement. Yeah, he he did say that to Ozzy, and I think <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact. <laughs> I think to a degree, um, and this is a weakness in Ozzy's game, I think he's right about that in a way. Ozzy is a kid to Penner. I think Ozzy doesn't relate well to people who aren't around his same age. Like, I think... Ozzy and Penner, they're very different people, and I don't think Ozzy makes the effort to kind of be with Penner, like be buddies with him, which is really bad on Ozzy's part because he needs to do that. But the people that Ozzy does get along with, like, you know, Adam, Parvati, Sandra really liked him, Yul liked him, Becky, like all those lines, they really like Ozzy. And I think that um, Ozzy has, and you can see it again in South Pacific where uh, Cochrane and Sophie didn't really like Ozzy. So I think Ozzy needs to kind of be more of a chameleon and appeal to everyone. But I think to the average person who will be cast on Survivor actually gets along with Ozzy quite well and they do like him and they don't view him that way. So was there anything that Ozzy did strategically back in Cook Islands that really impressed you on this most recent viewing? Um, anything that he did strategically? No, no, not really. Like, that's the thing with Ozzy. There was nothing like where I was like, wow, what a... What a big move by Ozzy, at least in Cook Island, that he did where I thought that was really smart of him. But that's not his game, though. He isn't a strategic player. He's there to be a loyal to the Alliance, help provide, keep the tribe strong, win as many challenges as possible, get to the end, and hopefully get the majority of the jury votes. And I think in this Cook Islands game, I really think he was, I don't want to say robbed, but I think it was a really bad circumstance for him to be in. Yeah. I mean, you have Yol with this god idol. You've never seen that again. It was incredibly powerful as it took him to the final three. 
And they didn't know it was going to be a Final Three playing the season until day 38. They had no idea. And I think that definitely affects the game, how you played. If you think it's going to be Final Two or Final Three, if you go to Micronesia, Surrey was probably going to win if it was a Final Three, which they thought it was. But no, last second change, it's not, and Surrey loses. Yeah. So I think that's something, it was just a really bad circumstance for him. And the fact that he almost did beat Yol, I think his game in Cook Islands worked. It was just bad circumstance, and then he barely lost, even with those against him. You make some good points along the way. If that is a final two instead of a final three, you have to imagine Ozzy wins the final three immunity and chooses to go to the final two with Becky. I mean, I think that that seems like that makes a lot of sense, and you would think that Ozzy wins in a route against Becky, and then we talk about Yule Mm. as one of the greatest players to never win as he comes in third in that season. And again, he loses to an all-time great in Yule, five to four. Would you say that Cook Islands Ozzy is peak Ozzy? Yeah, I would definitely say that. Like, um, it's and it's interesting. I think usually the first time someone plays is their peak player, though. Because something that happens when Ozzy goes in Micronesia and South Pacific is they have this perception of him that he's he's basically the god of physical capability in Survivor. Like, he is the icon for it. So that's a huge threat to go into, and it puts him at a great disadvantage whenever he returns. When I was watching Cook Islands, one thing I didn't notice, around uh, Final 6, Final 7, you have um, people like Becky Yol saying, you know what? I didn't think Ozzy was going to be this good in challenges. I knew he was athletic, but I didn't think he was this good. People didn't know how well Ozzy was at the challenges. And I think the fact is, if Ozzy played a hundred times with people not knowing how he played the first time, he does phenomenal each time. And so, of course, his first time is the best because after that, it's so hard for him to do well. And you can see that with like yourself or Richard Hatch. When you come back, it's a completely different game. Certainly there are people that come back and are able to demonstrate growth and, and improve their game. So I don't want to say that that's necessarily the rule that everybody is their best their first time around. But I do think that there is something about Ozzy the first time around where he almost was able to remove himself from the strategy of the game where he, I felt like that in Cook Islands, he basically says, I'm just not going to worry about that part of the game. There's only one thing I can control. It's how I do in the challenges. I'm just going to show up challenge after challenge and win immunity. I don't have to get involved with all of the strategy. People are getting mad at people like Penner and stuff like that for scheming. I'm not going to get my hands dirty with that. It's not worth my attention. Yeah, and that is definitely, for me, it's a very viable strategy. In fact, I think it's almost a preferred strategy. If I could go on Survivor and either be very good at the strategic game and know how to do things, that's probably what I do. But if you can give me the option to just be like a physical god and not have to worry about pissing people off, making people feel uncomfortable and stuff like that if I betray them or I have to be in an alliance against them, I would choose that. I'd rather just be a really nice guy and really good at challenging. Like I think that's the preferred way to play. Like you piss off less people and we see multiple times the person who is usually in like a underdog position or in the minority alliance and they win the last few challenges to get to the final three or two, they win the game. 
So I think if you can have that, that's what you want to be. And I think that's why it was perfect for Ozzy. And Mike Holloway's win, I think, sort of bears that out where here's somebody who even people were even mad at him. But then he goes on an immunity run and just, you know, he's by the end of the game. That's like, what are you going to do? This guy won all the challenges. And then, you know, we had to vote ourselves out. So (laughs) for the record, I don't want to put out there that I think Mike Holloway is a great survivor winner. I do not. But if we're looking at the game as if you're a good player, what are your chances of winning? Do you have the ability to win? And I think Ozzy does have the ability to win. And by a great lot, it may not be the way you like to see people win. You may prefer someone to have control over the game, good alliance, uh, idols plays. I mean, it's all the same. As long as you get to the end of the jury votes, it's a valid way of playing the, the game. The two major advantages in playing the game that way is, one, you're not pissing people off, which is a major problem when you get to the end. And two, it's a resume builder. It's like, hey, I won this many immunities. And then people tend to say, okay, well, they won that many immunities, so give it to them. So it definitely does help you in those two ways. The problem is that if you ever do not win the immunity, it's very difficult to control your own fate. And uh, in the case of Ozzy, uh, that he was just up against one of the all-time greats who really pulled a, a really fancy maneuver with the great Adam Gentry where Yule made this deal where, hey, if we vote off Penner at Final 7, I'll give you my final tribal council vote. Yule, I guess, was planning to do that anyway, but still made that deal. And then Ozzy loses by that one vote. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I always, like, people like to say, well, Ozzy was never going to win Cook Islands. Like, you know, he didn't make the connections on the jury. He did. Adam was going to vote for him, but he made that deal instead, and Adam felt indebted to it. I really think Ozzy's runner-up game in Cook Islands is the best runner-up game of all time. A lot of the reasons why he lost is because of factors he couldn't control, like the final three at the end in the God Idol, mm-hmm. and just of how close he truly was to winning. Remind me, Tyler, was I this high on Ozzy in TEOS when we did Cook Islands? Um, no, you were very impressed with his challenge skills, but you, de- you guys didn't even touch on... Is Ozzy's runner-up game the best of all time for runner-ups? Maybe a little hyperbolic, but I definitely get what you're saying. Like, my thing with it is, I just feel like any other Final 3 scenario, Ozzy wins. If Yule's not in there, he was one vote away. He lost because he's up against the God Idol, and there's a surprise Final 3. So I just, for me, there's hard to find another survivor where it's like that, and that's how I view it. It's a fair point. All right. So let's start to get into now the Aussie from Micronesia. And as I said, I thought that Cook Island's Aussie is peak Aussie, where he is sort of like indifferent to the strategy and is just going to go out and win the challenges. Again, this is Aussie in his, you know, uh, peak conditioning, I would imagine. Also, is 25. Now he's a little bit older. Again, uh, not as old as he's going to be coming back again. But here he is. And now what I feel like where Aussie starts to go wrong is is that he says, hey, I was out-strategized in the Cook Islands, so now I'm going to incorporate some intense strategy into my game in Micronesia. Do you think, is that a fair assessment of Ozzy 2.0? Yeah, I think that is a a really fair one, and I think that's a big mistake a lot of returning players make. They overcorrect their game. Ozzy's game is really good in Cook Islands. It may have been a losing game, but it worked really well. And I think if he went with that, it's just a nice provider, didn't really be as, like, much of a strategic force. I think it it still probably doesn't work out that much differently, but it probably helps a lot because if you're someone like Ozzy and you're this, they see you as this big physical threat and then you get on the island with him and you're like, oh, he's also um, pretty strategic. He's strategizing a lot. You're just making yourself a bigger target than you need to be. And especially if you're not good at strategy, 
You shouldn't talk about it. And Ozzy really is trying uh, really hard to be the alpha male type leader of that favorites tribe. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that is fair to say. And I think that wasn't the position for him to be in. Yeah, it's his alliance pre-merge. It did work out like he was in the majority. So good for him. But I think it was really risky. I think he was really lucky that uh, Fair Play, quote unquote, quit. Because I think if that didn't happen, Parvati goes home instead. And then Ozzy's probably not far behind him because they were considering Parvati or Ozzy for the first boot. And just going back to Ozzy's first game, a little bit of this does show up when they are on the all Hispanic tribe where that he does take on the leadership role there and then say that they have to throw the challenge to vote out Billy Garcia. That part of him does exist there. But then post swap, then he really sort of resigns himself to say, I'm not going to attempt this role. I think that's where his game really starts to excel. I I think when people make the argument like Ozzy's kind of, um, I don't want to say delusional, but he lacks self-awareness. I really do think he thinks, when he says something, everyone takes and it's like, yes, this guy is right. Because he believes he's in his element out in the jungle and people will follow him. And I think when Cecilia got voted out over Becky, it kind of shook him up. It woke him up that people aren't listening to him. And it scared him just enough to go to this island Zen thing. And just one thing I want to touch upon about Cook Islands, what I found really interesting. When I was watching the Billy Garcia boot episode, I've come to the conclusion Billy Garcia is the worst Survivor player oh, of all Oh, come time. on. All right, let's, uh, Tyler, save those like, hot takes for another time. Let's keep it about Ozzy. Oh, come on, stop. stop. Right, so I don't blame Ozzy for throwing the challenge. <laughs> but, but, yeah. <laughs> but I think you're, you're onto something else that's interesting about Ozzy's uh, personality because it does seem as though when things are not going Ozzy's way, I do think he is a bit of a front runner where if things are going his way, everything is fine. But then if not, that he is very quick to resign from interaction with everybody else. And I think that this shows up a couple different ways. We talked about how after Cecilia ends up getting voted out, then he sort of like resigns from the strategic part of the game. And that actually serves him well. But then we also see other situations where he gets blindsided and we'll talk about in South Pacific where he decides to become a free agent and he's not going to work with anybody. And I think that this even manifests itself in like, okay, well, fine, I'll just go to Redemption Island and I'll win my way back into the game. Do you feel like that Ozzy has a little bit of that? Well, I'll just take my ball and go home. Yeah, I think, yeah, like 100% he has that. And I think Ozzy plays better when he's doing his own thing that way. I think it's kind of a good thing that happened so early on in South Pacific. And I think it's a good thing it happened so early on in Cook Islands where he could see himself in serious trouble. His strategic game is not his strength. He's not a good strategic player. I mean, he's made some good strategic moves, which we'll talk about later, but he needs to focus on what he's good on. And I think that goes for every Survivor player ever. Richard Hatch says, it's all about knowing who you truly are. And if you can exploit that to the best, that's your best way of winning Survivor. So I think what happened in Micronesia was, It was almost unfortunate that his alliance was so dominant pre-merge because when it came to the merge and they need, he needed to be knocked down a peg. He was the peg they knocked down by voting him out. Think if like, let's say hypothetically, instead of voting out Ozzy in that round, they voted out James. I think Ozzy can actually recover from that and do better. He needs like someone from his alliance to be voted out before him. So you can kind of wake up and like, I have to stop being like the strategic douche. So when we go back to post-swap Micronesia, where Ozzy's post-swap tribe with Suri, with Amanda, with Eric Reichenbach and Chet and Joel, 
and Tracy they, and Amy, they end up going on a bit of a losing streak. Do you feel like, did Ozzy do well during that part of the game when his tribe was losing a lot? Or do you feel like that he struggled? I think his game, like, he was just really lucky he was in the numbers. I think, though, it, it definitely struggles. Ozzy needs to win to keep content. And that's another weakness of this game. He can't lose too much. Or he mm-hmm. kind of gets in that sour mood and people don't want to be around him as much. So he was just fortunate to be in the majority alliance in Micronesia. And I don't want to like get anyone wrong. I think Ozzy's Micronesia game is terrible. Like, I do not think it's a good game. I think he was very lucky he was in the majority alliance. And I don't think it was because of him he was in the majority alliance. So yeah, Ozzy needs to be winning. But on the contrary, I sometimes think Ozzy's best when he's the underdog. So I think, uh, like you could see with the I24, he just, he goes into beast mode. Like when he gets under pressure, when he needs to win a challenge, he usually does it. And you can kind of see that with Redemption Island and South Pacific. And you see the opposite in Micronesia where he's a bit more comfortable in the merge. And I feel like he didn't try as hard in the challenges. To me, I think that the base of Ozzy's power is completely backed by his ability to win. And we go back to the I-2-4. Sure, he's underdog Ozzy, but they are the scrappy winning underdog. And I think that he ends up getting a bit of a mandate from that group when his group continues to win. He's sort of like, hey, follow me. We will win. And then when they do, people like him. But then when he's on in a group that is losing, he gets salty. And I do feel like that people really do start to question his leadership. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that is exactly kind of what happened in Micronesia, too. Like, I mean, I know Amy just wanted to stay, but he really isn't good at kind of being that guy in charge and letting people go. It's a very like, yeah. It's sour. And when people question his leadership, then he throws his hands up and says, you know what? You guys think you can do it better? I'm out of here. Yeah, exactly. And this, this is all his mistakes in the game. And that's why I always think he needs to focus on Cook Island's off. Just win the challenges. Be a nice guy. Provide for everyone. And when he tries to do the opposite, it doesn't work out. You said that you had uh, some major problems with his game in Micronesia. Do you want to discuss his eventual exit from that game? Now, the one thing I want to say, I don't necessarily blame Ozzy for not, like, obviously I blame him for not playing the idol because he should have, but I can see why he didn't see it coming, right? Whenever you have an all-star season, I think you have the perception that these people are your friends. Mm-hmm. Right, like I, you can speak onto that, but you know them a bit more intimately. So I think Harvardy betraying him like that, especially someone who was on his original season. I don't necessarily think, oh, what an idiot! How did you not play your idol? I think, yeah, he probably shouldn't have been so threatening and uh, arrogant. That was his biggest mistake, and then him not playing the idol just got him ousted. I mean, that Black Widow Brigade is one of the best alliances in the history of the show, and they really, you know, you have some all-time great players in Parvati and Sari pulling the wool over his eyes. I can't beat Ozzy up too much for getting blindsided with the idol. Yeah, it seems like when Ozzy loses in Micronesia and Cook Islands, he doesn't lose to, like, a joke. Like, it's not like, oh, wow, um, Joel from Micronesia really showed Ozzy. No, it's like, no, the Black Widow Brigade and Yolk beat Ozzy mm-hmm. he's not he's not losing against these terrible players so anything else you want to touch on on Ozzy from Survivor Micronesia before we touch on South Pacific yeah this is the one thing another kind of fault flaw in Ozzy's game but I'm talking a lot about his flaws even though I think he's really good although I don't think he's perfect is he always falls for the girl yeah like, this kind of happens twice and I think um I can't blame the guy I mean if like 
Amanda was all over me, and if Elise from South Pacific was all over me, I probably wouldn't be much better. But, um, you know, I, it's something he really needs to work on, and I hope maybe with maturity going to Game Changers, it will help him. Because, like uh, Jim said in South Pacific, Ozzy's a big enough threat than he needs to be. Him with one extra vote in his pocket is even more dangerous. And perception is everything. Yeah, well, just to speak to that, it's not just Elise. It's also with uh, Semhar in South Pacific as well. Yeah, where, yeah, yeah, that was and, weird. And Jim Rice famously says that yeah. she is mesmerizing but not hypnotizing or something like that. Uh, yeah. Just to speak to that Ozzy often will have some sort of a romantic or showmantic partner in the game or sometimes famously outside of the game. So let's talk about Ozzy in South Pacific, because here comes Ozzy back with coach in season 23. And now he is the captain of his own tribe in Savai. I think originally this is a great role for Ozzy to be on with a bunch of uh, newbies, because most people they cast on Survivor who are fans of the show, a lot of them, I'd say they're casual fans. They're not as into it as someone like I am. So when he gets on this tribe, they all really love and respect Ozzy. It's like, wow, one of the best is out here with us. I can't wait to play with him. So I think this was a great position for him to be in, especially bringing on the Savai tribe, because I think they were more his uh, cup of tea of people. And, you know, if he was in a situation like Rob and Russell a year before, I think that maybe he might have been in a better spot. But he is out there on Savai coming off a season where they just watched Boston Rob really go to the end with his group of newbies. And there's a couple of uh, rabble rousers and troublemakers in Cochran and Jim Rice there in this group with Ozzy. Right off the bat, he gets a thing for Semhar. His group decides that they want to go in a different direction, that Ozzy wants to vote out Cochran right off the bat. And instead, the group says, no, it should be Semhar. They want to take his vote away. Yeah, exactly. And I um, I understand the tribe wanting to do that. And luckily, he wasn't... Like, you see... When they voted out Semhar, he didn't seem too rattled by it because he didn't get the connection. She also was really terrible in that first challenge. Like, she was the reason they lost the first challenge also. And she seemed kind of weird to me, too. Like, I feel like she didn't fit in socially that well. <laughs> okay. Like, but one thing I think where Savai made... Like, yeah, Ozzy made a mistake in South Pacific early on getting too close to Elise. But I think Savai also made the mistake of getting rid of Elise. Mm-hmm. I think that was a big reason why they fell to Apollo. Yeah, it kind of woke Ozzy up and got him back to being normal Ozzy, just wanting to win the challenges. But you need to kind of keep Ozzy happy too as a tribe. And I feel like Jim and Cochran, not good on them for getting rid of it. Well, not, I can't blame Cochran because it would have been him. But Jim shouldn't, Jim really ruined it for Savai. I've always said that. Jim, terrible player in South Pacific. So bad. Let's not bring down uh, Jim Rice too much. He's a good friend of the podcast, Tyler. You guys can feel whatever way you want about him. Okay. I'm just, I'm very right, objective. Right, wait, 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 again, just like Billy Garcia. I don't want to get sidetracked with uh, Jim Rice talk. Okay. Okay. So then we have where Elise, obviously, you know, as you mentioned that had she stayed in the game instead of Cochran, you wouldn't think that she's going to flip over and vote with Apulu at the merge either. Yeah, no, I don't think she'd flip. And I think, um, I think she could have also been voted out later down the road pretty easily too. But now they vote out Ozzy's new squeeze from the game. And here's the point where Ozzy (laughs) throws his hands up in the air and says, hey, you know what? I'm a free agent. I'm not working with you guys anymore. Yeah, and I think this is such a great episode because I think it's a big moment when the fan base kind of turned on Ozzy, like the super duper fans. I think a lot of them turned on in Micronesia when he 
was very bitter towards poverty. And I think this was kind of like the nail in the coffin for them. Like, oh, I'm done with this guy. And yeah, it's like, you know, it's no fun watching anyone be petty. But you also have to understand, and I'll defend Ozzy for this, it probably sucks being blindsided on Survivor. I think people don't think yeah. about that. Yeah. I'm sure it's a pretty cruddy feeling. And, you know, Ozzy's probably a bit more of a sour grape than most people. But that's a normal reaction. And about a day later, he kind of shakes it off and says, you know, guys, I'm sorry about acting that way. But, you know... I'll just go back to winning challenges and catching fish for everybody. So Ozzy has a change of heart. And so at the point where they go to the tribal council in episode number six, he blows up at Cochran. Cochran like got all the ropes all tangled together. They have to send somebody to Redemption Island. And so Ozzy ends up ultimately deciding that he himself needs to go to Redemption Island to take on Christine Markoski and then potentially knock her out so she doesn't go back to Upolo, even though she hates Coach, and then he will return to the game. Now, Tyler, in our correspondence back and forth, you say that this is a brilliant masterstroke on Ozzy's part. I think, I think it is a brilliant move, and I think it obviously did not work out because Ozzy, cruddy acting skills, and Cochran flips anyways, but I think one thing I always thought about, I didn't think about it as, hey, well, you know, if Christine comes aboard, Great. That's what we want. But imagine a scenario where they do vote at Cochran. And let's say Cochran wins that duel. Let's say Cochran comes back. Then he's 100% flipping on Savai. Why would he be loyal to him? They just voted him out. They just said, hey, you're number six in this alliance. Bye-bye. And they kind of do that already. But then Ozzy sacrifices himself for it. I think if he did it earlier, would he never had any doubt that Cochran was going to go and Savai was all for it. Like, yeah, Ozzy, sacrifice yourself, win the challenge. I think it works out a lot better and Cochran may have not flipped. So you feel like that if they didn't already like tell Cochran he had to go because they were mad at him and say, you have to go redeem yourself on Exile Island or Redemption Island. You think if Ozzy just would have told everybody, hey, if we lose this thing, just so you guys know, I'll take the bullet for the team. Yeah, I think it works out because I think um, the show and the edit, they kind of spread this false narrative that Cochran flipped because he was bullied. I don't think that is true. I think Cochran flipped because he's a fan of the game and he saw himself as number six in the alliance. And so as number six, he says, well, I'm going to take my chance over there if they're promising me final three. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think really it could have been a brilliant move. And I think it's a very calculated risk. If I was Ozzy, I would take, do the same thing. I think 99 times out of 100 going to beat Christine. So yeah, I was very happy with it. Okay, so Ozzy goes out, he goes to Redemption Island, he does beat Christine Markoski, he comes back into the game. This is when we have our whole big uh, Cochran flips over to Apollo, and Ozzy gets screwed over and is shortly back out of the game, back onto Redemption Island. And Tyler, is there anything you wanted to mention from his uh, second time back in the game? Well, because I really recently just watched South Pacific again, and... I thought Ozzy probably handled Cochran flipping on them the best of the Savaya tribe. He seemed the least pissed out of everyone. People were calling him a coward and stuff. You disgust I, me. Yeah, like, and Ozzy wasn't like that. He was kind of like, well, you know, uh, I'm pretty pissed off at you, but whatever. And so, like, again, this idea that Ozzy's this big douche and he's super mean, I don't know where a lot of this fan base is getting it from. But Tyler, here's the interesting part here. So then Ozzy goes to Redemption Island. And Ozzy basically says, hey, Redemption Island is great. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to hang out in my little tent. I'm going to be nice to people when they come through. I'll be a provider. I'll make them a fish. 
Then I'll go and beat them in the challenge and I'll move on and on and on. And I'll just get back in the game at the final five. And I think that Ozzy at this point has come full circle. He is back to mm-hmm. peak Ozzy yeah. from Cook Islands on Redemption yeah, Island. I think so totally. And I think that's what's also so interesting about his story arc as a character as a whole. He does the full circle. And again, he is at peak Ozzy. And this is where he needs to be. Redemption Island is perfect for him. He was catching huge fish, feeding himself, being nice to the people coming to Redemption Island. This is a great spot for him to be in. Yeah. Like, would I would I rather be in coach's position at that point in South Pacific or Aussies? Being Aussie, obviously, and being coach, I'd 100% be Aussie any other day. <laughs> so, Aussie ends up coming back into the game at the Final Five. He wins an immunity challenge, and then he comes up short on a puzzle, gets voted out at the Final Four. But everybody that we've ever interviewed through uh, Survivor South Pacific says, if Aussie would have gotten to the Final Three, he would have gotten all these Salai votes, and he would have won the game. Yeah, I mean, who else has had like a standing ovation for when they're voted out, other than maybe Keith and Second Chances? Like, I think he played a great game in South Pacific, too. I think it was really, really good. Another one of those up there best games. And I feel like he has that in Cook Islands. Two great games. I don't get why people don't give him the credit he does. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I know there's a lot of arguments. Well, he used Redemption Island. But that was a twist in the season. He adapted to the season he was on, which is what you're supposed to do. There's so many scenarios where... The perception of a player is really good, but really they only benefited from a twist that really helped them out. And there's multiple examples of that. But because he took so much advantage of Redemption Island, Redemption Island was a twist that was very unpopular with the fans. Actually, the first Blood versus Water kind of salvaged it a little bit where people were really not happy that it came back. And then it provided some good drama in that season. So people really hated Redemption Island, uh, the actual twist. It's coming off of the Redemption Island season, which a lot of the super duper fans felt like, okay, these returning player seasons, you have all these returning players who come in with newbies. They get to the end in Boston. Rob Ozzy is going to the almost to the end coach gets to the end. So I think that there is a backlash with those things as well. You know what they say? Don't hate the player, hate the game. Yeah, hate Redemption Island all you want, but Ozzy played really well in that season two, like it or not. He has two games where he almost won Survivor, and there's not a lot of other players who have almost won Survivor twice. So Tyler, here we have Ozzy 4.0. Based on what we've seen, I believe this is now the longest layoff Ozzy has in between seasons, if I am correct. So he plays 11 seasons, season 23. He's coming back now for season 34. If you had to hazard a guess, what adjustment do you think Ozzy makes between Ozzy 3.0 and Ozzy 4.0? What I think he's going to do differently this time is I think he's going to be less strategic. I think he really did kind of learn from self-specific. His best thing to do is just be this provider. And I think he's going to continue with that kind of, I don't think he's going to try to be strategic. I think he's going to be like, I'm this provider. I'm great in challenges. Now, the only thing the question will be is how much has Ozzy aged and how much has his physical ability gone down since then? And that's the thing we're going to watch out for. Because if it goes down a lot, like Cole being cures versus villains, he's screwed. If it doesn't, Maybe it's a good chance of actually making a run for the the win. For me, I think that this could go one of two ways for Ozzy. So my question, number one, is how much does he care about being back out there? Now, obviously, he's there. 
He must like playing on Survivor. But is he really invested in how much he wins or loses this season? So I feel like if you go with the impression Ozzy's life is fine, if he looks at this as sort of just like another fun adventure that he's going on, I think Ozzy could do particularly well. If we get the, I don't really give an F Ozzy, how this thing turns out. I think that it's probably the best case scenario for him where he just isn't that interested in controlling the outcome. The other way it could go as Ozzy has gotten older and has become more of a grown up. Does he try to micromanage and control the situation even more? If that's the case, I think that people will pull back from him even further. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with that. I think this really could be a great season for Ozzy to do well in. I mean, I'm looking at this cast, and there's so many of these strategic people who are just juggernauts of the game. And I think if he tries to go against them in a strategic way, and they already know how physical he is, he's screwed. They're going to have no patience for it, and they're going to flick him aside. But if he could stay quiet, provide just his challenge strength, he could kind of slip into a good alliance merge with numbers, maybe get a few rounds down, go in an immunity run, he probably wins the game. Tyler, did you have a chance to listen to my only interview on the record with Ozzy from the post-game of Survivor South Pacific? I did. Okay, what did Ozzy say at that point in time? From what I remember, he just seemed really disinterested with Survivor at that point. <laughs> what about talking it. to me? Was he interested in that? Um, no, not really. I don't think so. <laughs> I think like, you know, it, it didn't really give me that much to work. With. I was like, oh, he seems pissed. And, you know, that's kind of been the thing with Ozzy at reunions. In Cook Islands, he wasn't very happy. And in South Pacific, I think he he's a very sensitive guy and he does have a big ego. So, yeah, I think it's and it's been so long. I mean. Who knows what he's like now? You said you've met him. I've met him, but I've never met him when things aren't going his way. And I think that's where we exactly. start to have problems. Okay. Uh, yes. I, yeah. I just want to say too, I like, even if Ozzy doesn't do well this season, like even if he's pre-merge, phenomenal player still. I think you people can't take away what he's done already. It's the same for Sandra. If Sandra's the first voter down, it's not like, well, I guess Sandra sucks now. She was the first one voted up. No, no, no. They're still great players. And it's, there's so much that comes in with an all-star season. So it should be fun to watch. That's right. That's right, Tyler. Okay. So let's talk about some of these relationships that Ozzy carries into this season. And so here he is with his tribe mates. And so we can draw some connections here with Ozzy. And I guess that our uh, biggest connection here is his former favorites tribe member, Suri Fields, is here. How do you think Ozzy and Suri are going to get along? Um, I don't think they're going to fight or anything, but I don't see them working together. I don't think it's going to work out. Unless Ozzy really had, like, if the mature Ozzy's more welcoming with older people, I think it'll work well. But from what we've seen in the past, Ozzy gets along well with the younger people. And that's not Suri, unfortunately. And I don't think Suri's that interested in working with Ozzy, especially with what happened in Micronesia. So this could be a bad spot if he's, again, too vocal strategically against Suri. He's not even close to the player Suri strategically. So that could be bad for him, actually. Do you feel like Ozzy has a vendetta against Suri? No, I don't think so. I think he never really... He didn't seem to blame Suri that much in Micronesia for his ousting, even though it was quite her fault. I think if it was Parvati, yeah, I think he'd be after her like there's no tomorrow. But I really think he's just like, oh, it's Suri. I don't trust her. She's going to try to get me out. But I think um, that will be overshadowed by JT's and Suri's rivalry. And I think Ozzy might find 
uh, an ally in JT with common enemy. So I think that could be interesting to watch. I mean, I think the conventional wisdom on Ozzy is go- that he's going to want to bro down uh, like he has done in previous seasons, whether it's like him and James are going to partner up back at the favorites beach or also like, okay, he's going to partner up with Jim Rice and friend of the podcast, Keith Tolfson. Do you think that he's going to come in with a similar idea here? Um, Yeah, for sure. And I think someone like Brad Culpepper is going to lose his mind over playing someone like Ozzy and really pump into his ego and want to work with him. I definitely see a guy's alliance. Is there the chance that there's a romantic interest in, between him and Andrea? Of course. I feel like that, I don't know their relationship status, but I think if they're both single, that's a very possible thing that might happen and really hurt him, actually. Now, why do you single out Andrea over the fan favorite Sierra Don Thomas? From history of how Andrea is with guys, I think Andrea is more likely to get into a relationship in the game, as we've seen in the past, than Sierra is. And the best way to predict what something's going to happen is what happened in history. Yes. Right? Like that's like that's what I see. I'm just going by right. what I've heard. Past performance is not indicative of future results, Tyler. Um, yeah, I wouldn't take that to the bank. Okay. All right. You feel like that there is a potential bro down coming between Ozzy and Brad and JT? Yes. That does seem on paper almost destined to happen. And it, there's so many things that are just right about it. Because you know Brad's gonna be all for it. JT is going to be so focused on getting rid of Sari. I don't see Brad and Ozzy getting along with Sari. It's almost bound to happen. Yeah, JT famously wanted to work with Tom and Colby as well, back on the Heroes tribe. What about Ty Trang and Ozzy? Do you feel like that that is a possible match for Ozzy? It, it really is. I think they have a lot of similarities. I think, again, is does Ozzy give Ty the time of day? Because Ty is an older guy. And he is not this broy guy who wants to go out uh, fishing. He doesn't like hurting animals. So I don't see the time for them to bond as much. But I think if they really sat down and talked to each other, they'd have a lot in common. So it's really in Ozzy's court because I think Ty's going to really like Ozzy. It's just how much does Ozzy like Ty? Yeah, I think that Ozzy's really going to like Ty. I mean, I think that Ty is a very charming guy. And I think what they share in common, I think that the real common denominator there is that they have a shared love of all things nature. And I think that Ty, when he's waxing poetic about the beautiful things that are out there, I mean, Ozzy basically in South Pacific calls nature his religion. That's when he says he feels like (laughs) that he is with God. When he is out in nature, am I right or wrong about that? You are right about that. He's a naturologist. It's great. Yeah. So I do think that him and Ty have uh, a lot of common ground to work from. I'm concerned about Ozzy and Zeke. Oh, yeah. I don't see them working together at all. I don't know, like, Zeke's uh, lifestyle of being, like, this New Yorker. Like, he's a comedian. He's very big city. And Ozzy's, like, this, quote-unquote, beach bum. Like yeah. They don't have much in common. They play different kind of games. Yeah, I, I reject that to a degree. I do think that Ozzy, you know, he is not always on Venice Beach, but is like very much in the hipster culture in Venice. And I feel like that sort of separated by coast, Brooklyn and Venice, I think that there is some mutual things shared. So there is the possibility for a bond between Zeke and Ozzy. I don't think Zeke will have any interest in working with Ozzy as well, though. Zeke is just, I mean, Zeke's going to want to make 
big moves in this game. I think, you know, he quoted game changers in his final jury speech in Millennials versus Gen X. So him being cast in the season and he has not seen himself play yet. So he may come in with a bigger ego than he needs to be. And I think that will get him to try to take out the big guns. And I think Ozzy might be a target of that because Ozzy is a big gun going into the season. He has one of the biggest fan bases out of everybody. What about any of the women here in this group? You touched on Andrew. We touched on Sari. Debbie, do you see any sort of match with Debbie and Ozzy? Yes, I do, actually. I think think Debbie is a fan of the young, good-looking guy. Oh, he could be the new Nick Majorano. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think she's going to be very uh, mesmerized of Ozzy. And I think that will work to his advantage. Again, if Ozzy makes the bond with them. Because the one thing I've seen, Ozzy is a bit of a loner. He sometimes kind of ignores people. If he pays attention to Debbie, she could be a great and very loyal ally to him. So I think there's so much potential to a great relationship there. Okay. Uh, Sarah Lucina, do you see anything there? I'm sure they'll they'll get along fine. I just, I, there's nothing, I don't know. Sarah, to me, it's just, I can't really read her. I don't know what she's going to do. She's going to go burned by Kageon, and now she's a game changer. So it's a big question mark for me for Sarah. And then, of course, we also have the relationship between Ozzy and, of course, our fan favorite, Sierra Dawn Thomas, but Tyler, uh, the origin of that comes from way back in May when we first got to hear these famous words. Survivor fan favorites, Ozzy and Sierra to help present this showcase. What? Ozzy's a fan favorite too. (laughs) They were together at the Price is Right. The Price is Right Alliance? Like, is that office? (laughs) Is that when they started Mm. pre-gaming? Yeah. So I don't know. And again, that's always a big thing, too. I don't know how much pregame is going on, and that's almost always a huge factor. Did they, like, hit it off? It's like, boy, we got to get Sierra out there with Ozzy. I don't know. So maybe uh, interesting to uh, to note there again, uh, no shared history other than uh, from uh, The Price is Right. Anything from the other tribe that you think is a potential match or trouble for Ozzy ahead? I think Ozzy and Caleb and Troy Zen will all get along really well. Yeah. I could see those three guys growing down. I think Malcolm is the biggest question mark for me because Malcolm is kind of, that's where they were going with Malcolm. They wanted him to be kind of another Aussie, but he isn't at all. And I don't, I don't know how Aussie's going to feel about being compared to Malcolm. And I don't know how Malcolm's going to feel about being compared to Aussie. So that could either go two ways. They're going to get along really well, or they're both going to want to take each other out. And I kind of compare it to, all-Stars, where Boston Rob really wanted to take you out for just being another Rob. <laughs> I think with Egos and Survivor, that's a big thing for people. You know who's really not going to love Ozzy? Sandra? No, I was going to say Tony. Oh, yeah, Tony will not. No. Tony, <laughs> no time. I mean, but that's if Tony even makes it to a swap. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not confident that Ozzy's going to worry about Tony that much, which is unfortunate. All right, so let's just take a look at the big picture here for Ozzy. Do you think that this could be the season that Ozzy comes back and wins. There's so many variables. I don't think so. Like my gut tells me it's probably not going to work out for him. I just think there's too much uh, people that he's not going to click with. But I think with any, this is what makes Ozzy unique. Any survivor season, he has a decent shot at winning. I think think if he can get in the majority alliance, get to the merge, win some immunities, he can win the game. And you can't say that about any other player, which is, why I find Ozzy so fascinating. So there's a decent shot, 
but I wouldn't put money on it this time. You know, he's certainly an interesting guy. I mean, I believe he has been voted out of the game four times now. If he doesn't make it to the end, I believe that that will be a record. I don't know if he shares that with him. Yeah. Yeah. Five times, five times being voted out of the game, and and amazingly, he made it to the end once. <laughs> like that's kind of that's really crazy. Well, what's also really interesting, if Fozzie makes it to day fifteen, he holds the record for most days played on Survivor. Wow! Right? Like I know, yeah, he's really been on this TV screen for Survivor a lot, so it should be fun. And I think he's probably going to hold that record. I think he'll easily make day fifteen. I don't see a lot of scenarios or odds he's the first or second voted off. Yeah, he's made the jury each of his seasons that he played as well. So uh, that would be, uh, again, pretty momentous uh, to have him be a four-time juror, which is uh, pretty amazing. He certainly is one of the iconic figures of Survivor, uh, whether you love him or hate him. Yeah, he. I mean, he's in the Survivor Hall of Fame. He re- resonates emotion out of everyone. Like People are like, oh, I hate Ozzy. He's a pretentious douche. Or, oh, I love Ozzy. He, I want to marry him. Like, there's so much with him. <laughs> okay. And I, I don't want to marry Ozzy. I just really like him. So if you don't think Ozzy's going to win, what's your projected finish for Ozzy here? I think Ozzy's going to get early, um, early jury. Early jury. He, the thing what makes me think is, could he win a bunch of immunities to the end? Yes. But in Cook Islands, they merged at nine. And I think that was a big thing. In returning player seasons, I think they're going to want to merge at somewhere around 12 or 13 like they did with Second Chances. And they've, the challenges now aren't what they used to be. It can be as simple as, you know, like Tyson says, throw a rock at an invisible target and Ozzy's out of the game. Tyler, any other misconceptions you want to clear up about Ozzy before we sign off today? No, I just like, I want people to think that, you know, he really did almost win the game twice. So when you go on saying, oh, Ozzy sucks at Survivor, Obviously, he does not. You can't almost win the game twice in second Survivor. I mean, he is a uh, couple of bounces of the ball away from being a two-time Survivor winner. So there's not that many people that have almost won twice, like have like uh, two different times, got right there and ended up uh, missing. You know, yeah, Russell Hance makes it to the end twice. Uh, Amanda Kimmel, I don't think we even have touched on how Ozzy like kind of proposed to Amanda Kimmel at the yeah, he, <laughs> fans versus favorites he, final. He was really in love with her and it was, it was cra- crazy how fast he fell for her. But even if like Russell and Amanda, they were probably not going to win their seasons because of their jury. Mm-hmm. Ozzy was going to win. Yeah, and Suri. Like Suri is the other one, I think. Yeah, I think Ozzy and Suri are the most similar that way of where they were so close. They have two and, close calls. Exactly. And Keith Nail, also. Yeah. Two close calls to a survivor. <laughs> He's right there. All right. Yeah. Well, Tyler, uh, great stuff. Thank you so much for all of your hard work going through all of Ozzy's seasons. And uh, certainly we want to see how this is going to play out. Tyler, if people want to continue this conversation with you, offline what is your twitter handle um i don't use twitter you don't use I, <laughs> oh uh, like I, I i have twitter but i don't use it so don't follow me on that so um, nobody can reach you on snapchat no do not add me on snapchat don't try to do that uh, i guess if you want to follow me on instagram instagram okay what's your instagram at tyler kakuno k-a-k-u-n-o i'm such a bad millennial all right well look that's a, maybe a sign of the times i know it's changing things are changing okay Tyler, great stuff. Talk to you again soon, buddy, okay? See you, bud. 
All right, everybody, there you have it. Tyler Kakuno talking Ozzy here on Rob has a podcast. I did think that that was one of the more fun interviews that I did. I've really been very happy with everything that we've done here in the Game Changer preview series. But I thought that was a really interesting one to go back. And I thought we got a better understanding of Ozzy now after going through all that with Tyler. So thanks again, Tyler, for all your hard work. Before we get to talking about Debbie with Shannon Gates, a quick word about a survey that's going on at Podcast One. Podcast One is asking all of their podcasts to have their listeners take part in a survey to get some demographic information. Basically, what they want you to do is tell them all of the Podcast One shows that you listen to. Hopefully, you include Rob as a podcast and post-show recaps in your survey results. It takes about four or five minutes to go through. It's completely anonymous, but it is something that really does help us get matched up with the right sponsors for the audience of this podcast. So that survey is at podcastone.com slash my survey, podcastone.com slash my survey, or just go to podcast one and click on the survey banner. And it's something that you can do that doesn't cost anything that really does help out Rob as a podcast and post show recaps. All right. So let's get into my conversation with Shannon Gates talking about Debbie Wanner. Debbie, of course, played back in Survivor Co-Wrong a year ago and was such a big character. And in my conversation with Shannon, she talks about why our perception of Debbie may not be exactly right. And she'll tell us why she thinks that Debbie actually does have a shot here in Survivor Game Changers. So here is my conversation with Shannon Gates. All right, everybody, I'm very excited to talk about another one of our game changers, somebody that I feel like has gone pretty far under the radar, which is surprising because they were such a big figure in their original season. And today we're going to be talking about Debbie Wanner. And here with me to talk about Debbie is our Debbie expert, Shannon Gates. Shannon, how are you? I'm great, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. Shannon, it is a great pleasure to have you here on the podcast because uh, why don't you let the listeners know, what is your RHAP claim to fame? Uh, I'm the inventor of the rap Rupert Tweet game. (laughs) Wait, what? Yes, I am. I sent in the original voicemail, which prompted the game, and it was the greatest achievement of my life (laughs) up until this very moment. Tweets, baby, tweets, Rupert. Tweets that are better than something that happened on Survivor. Rupert tweets. Wow. I can't believe it. So have you thought of any other great games for the podcast yet? Uh, Now you put me on the spot. Well, maybe in the theme of Debbie, we can guess some of her professions. I'm sure she has more that that she hasn't told us. Yes. Okay, good. All right. So let's get into talking about Debbie. Shannon, you are calling us from Australia. Is Debbie one of the most popular survivor figures in Australia? More popular than Dez? More popular than Dez. Um, well, she's a very strong person. She's a battler. I feel like Australians would like Debbie. So why did Debbie resonate so much with you in particular? Well, I love that she's, as I said, a very strong, intelligent woman, and she's all about female solidarity, which I always appreciate. Plus, she's super funny. She's a soundbite machine, which is awesome. And what I love the most about Debbie, being a writer, I love on Survivor, when characters are really nuanced and complex, and that is Debbie down to a T. She is definitely not a two-dimensional character, which I appreciate. Okay, Shannon. Well, we're going to get into everything Debbie and talk about how she's going to do in this season. But the thing that's been so weird to me talking about Debbie, she really came onto the scene with she was everywhere. She was all over Survivor Co-Wrong first eight or nine episodes. She had a million confessionals. Everybody's talking about Debbie, breakout character. And then really from the moment that she got voted out of the show, really, 
she sort of just vanished. And I feel like that she has been almost completely incognito since then, both physically and also in terms of the minds of Survivor fans. She just vanished. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people coming on to season 34 from 32. So she gets overshadowed, I think, by the fan favorites of Ty and then Aubrey kind of took over the season when Debbie was leaving. Plus the way the timing worked. I mean, they went out to film season 34 right after season 32. So she, she's, and I don't think she's like a huge social media user. So she's just not really in the public eye. Do you think that the fans are clamoring for a Debbie return? Like when she shows up on the TV on March 8th, do you think that the fans are going to go nuts? Or do you feel like the Debbie popularity will never re-reach where she was in Korong? Well, I think at the time people wanted to see her again. And at the time she was such a huge character. She, you knew she'd come back at some point. And then, as you said, people kind of forgot about her and she's been overshadowed by some other co-wrong people. But I think that when she comes back, people are going to remember why we loved her so much. Because okay. I, I even forgot how great she was. And on my rewatch, I just remembered she's amazing. You've rewatched all of Debbie from Co-Wrong. What's some misconceptions that people have about Debbie? Well, I think that her strategy is so underrated just in general. Like people remember her as this crazy character. Like she's actually a really good strategist. I mean, there are, there are some lows in her game. But the highs are good. The highs are really high. She she can be a great strategic force. Do you think that she can actually make a run in Survivor Game Changers? I will go on the record now and say that she can win the game. She can win the game. But I mean, anything can happen. Do you think that there's some likelihood that Debbie could be the winner? A winner, winner, a winner edit? Yeah, winner edit. Um, so I think that she definitely has the skills to win. And her mistakes are extremely fixable. If she fixes those mistakes, I don't see why she wouldn't win. What are those mistakes? She can be very annoying. Straight off the bat, she might annoy people. And yes, if she comes in and is telling people like Ozzy how to make a shelter on day one, she's probably first boot. She She's not a great ally. She's very loyal, but she's not very communicative. Um, and she doesn't really listen to what her allies want. And then they fear her as a liability. So she needs to, and she needs to just mainly hang back. Like she needs to do less, not more. She needs to go with the flow a little bit, be a little bit more flexible, not dig her heels in about really stupid issues. And I think she could go far. Shannon, tell me about Debbie as a person. Like, do you believe the Debbie that we see on TV is the real Debbie or is she putting on a character on Survivor? Yeah, this is a very, very tough question. I think that through my rewatch, the, the question I was trying to answer is what Jeff asked Debbie at the reunion, which is, is she in on the joke? She answers yes. I'm still not sure. You know, she's she's definitely in on it and she's playing it up and she, she uses that strategically. But she is, I think, also crazy and it is her. But she's self-aware enough to know when to use it and kind of when to elevate it. She got compared to Coach a lot during Co-Wrong. And Coach, if you asked him, Coach, are you in on the joke or are you just out there? Coach would tell you, oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm completely in on the joke. Like, I made the joke. Like, so he would feel like he's in on it. But yeah. if you ask like Tyson or Boston Rob or Steven, they would say, no, he's definitely not in on the joke. He thinks he is, but he's not. So yeah. for Debbie, how do you think that she's going to fit in in a season of people that are just really savvy players for the most part? On the coach thing, Debbie has confessionals that I don't think coach has about how she knows she's playing the court jester. I think she has way more self-awareness than coach. I'll go out and say that. Certainly on his first go around. 
But fitting in on season 34 with big personalities, I think could be an issue because she has a big personality and that's obviously inherent to who she is. That's a hard thing for her to suppress. But if she lays back a little, I think that's the key to her game. Well, let's go back and take a look at her original game in Korong. And you can sort of pinpoint some of the things that she did that were some of the stronger points in her game. And I do think that they all come in the pre-merge game. So, of course, it's Brains versus Beauty versus Brawn. Debbie is going to get a fair amount of screen time really early on. Uh, we're going to find out about many of her different jobs uh, in the beginning of Survivor Korong, and that's going to be one of the most notorious things about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your favorite of Debbie's jobs? Uh, hard to go past Servant Red Lobster. It's just so <laughs> random. Yeah. It's so specific. Do you have Red Lobster in Australia? We don't, so I don't even get the, the whole joke, but I'm sure it's really funny. I've, I've never eaten at Red Lobster, I will say that. Yeah, the seafood restaurant, it's not really uh, considered a gourmet restaurant by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I'm sure she's going to serve at gourmet restaurants as well. So. Yes. Beyonce helped rejuvenate it a little bit in the last couple of years. <laughs> I know. Yes. So, two things I know about Red Lobster is Debbie and Beyonce. So. <laughs> yes, and they really go hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a chemist, but I've been a photonics manufacturing supervisor, an electronics expert, a bartender, caretaker to nuns, and between jobs, I fill in at Red Lobster as a server. Yeah. I forgot about <laughs> that we debated whether she said caretaker to nuns or caretaker to none. That debate was such a big part of my analysis. <laughs> Went back. The secret scene is longer. She has even more professions in the secret scene. And without the background music, you can clearly tell that she's saying nuns, plural. Yes, yes. yes. That so was I a- can- As Debbie expert, I can confirm caretaker to nuns. All right. So Debbie finds herself sort of on the bottom in the early going where all of the younger people have gotten together and her and Joe are on the out. We do see her get in and start a relationship with Aubrey as Aubrey is uh, not feeling well. So she was a caretaker to Aubrey as well. Yeah, I think that's the best part of Debbie's game. And it's so underappreciated. And it's something that really sets her apart from someone like a coach is that she is a mother and she's a mother to young girls. And you see her be really maternal and caring and nurturing towards these young girls. And it's such a good part of her social game. Probably the best part. Now, the Aubrey and Debbie relationship is going to really bear watching as we go through this. So I really do want to get your take on how Debbie feels about this relationship because she does nurse Aubrey back to health and Aubrey is going to screw her over later on in the game. So the first time that the brains are going to go to a tribal council comes when they vote out Liz. Can you talk about some of the issues that Debbie had with Liz and Peter? Yeah, I mean, so the episode where Debbie votes out Liz is such an incredible strategic episode for her. She wins the fishy, which is so well-deserved. She does amazing. I mean, at the beginning of the game, everyone was annoyed by her, particularly Liz and Peter. But yeah, all the young people, we see Neil saying bad things about her. She said that she could start the fire and she couldn't do it. Um, She's just talking too much. Everyone's annoyed by her. And she's already outcast with Joe as the old people. But then something changes in her. We see her come together so so well strategically. Um, and But, you know, Liz and Peter are still completely underestimating her. They want to drag Joe and her as goats to day 39 very early on in the game to make that decision. And I think that Debbie, she's aware of how she's perceived and she knows that they are dismissive of her and she plays on that and ends up taking Liz out. 
and she really needs Joe to get moving. We need to be subversive. We need to implant counterintelligence. We need to move with a purpose, Joe. And we need to do it now. <laughs> yes. I mean, her conflict with Liz is also her fault. She has this whole fight with Liz about whether they can drink the water, just unnecessary conflict, but they definitely don't get on well. And, you know, she moves and comes up with the plan and implements the plan to take her out. And it's it's great to watch. Now, do you think that this was a particularly bad group of people for Debbie to get along with this group of people that she was with in the Brains Tribe? Or was this just like any average group of people? There will be this many conflicts for Debbie. Yeah, I don't think that this is a particularly special group. I mean... She does end up making a four-person alliance out of that group of six. So that's pretty good. But yeah, she's definitely prone to conflict. She doesn't work well with alpha males, of which there are quite a few in season 34. So she could have some problems there. So Debbie also says in the early days of the Brain Stripe, uh, puzzles lay down for her like lovers. On your rewatch, Shannon, did you find this to be the case? Do the puzzles lay down for Debbie like lovers? Uh, I don't know what that would look like. Yes. Um, <laughs> she's, she's good at puzzles. And, you know, I would say that she's commendable in the challenges. Like she's never letting her tribe down. Even physically, she's completely competent in the challenges. I think that her perception will be bad. She's the oldest woman on the whole season. I think that people will look at her like she's a physical liability, liability in challenges. But I don't think that she is. And she does win them some challenges with the puzzles. Now, she almost suffers the same fate as Beast Mode Cowboy at the point where he goes out of the game. She's one of the people that receives medical attention. Is that something that we need to worry about Debbie's physical conditioning going into another season? No, no, I definitely say not. I mean, you saw people at peak physical condition, like, I mean, Beast Mode Cowboy and Sydney also go down. I think that was just bad luck. I don't think that the crew are going to let something like that happen again. So I feel totally fine about her physical condition. So Debbie survives the first phase of the game and makes it towards the swap. And we have that really interesting situation where we have two brains, two brawn, and two beauty coming together. (laughs) And there she is with Neil. But her and Neil had some issues with getting on the same page. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, her and Neil is a really interesting relationship. They're allies and they don't ever betray each other. But Neil, again, a lot of these men, a lot of these alpha male, they just don't respect Debbie. They're so dismissive of her. And there's even a secret scene when Neil is telling her to talk less and really being very condescending to her. And Debbie just takes it and tells him that she'll be a good soldier. And then in the confessional says that he's really underestimating her. So I think Neil never respected her. And I think that she could she picked up on that and she did not like that. One of the really interesting relationships that starts to unfold here is Debbie and Nick Majorano. And a lot was made as this story was mostly told from Nick's perspective in terms of that Debbie had a crush on him. What was Debbie trying to do here? Was this a case of that Debbie was trying to flirt with Nick to curry favor? Or was this a potential thing where she actually had a crush on him and we just saw a little bit of thirsty Debbie? I think that she liked him. Like, I don't see, I mean, she, flattery is her, her, her move, her strategic move. I mean, she flatters Sydney when she wants to align with her. So she's good at doing that. But I think she was a little bit blinded by Nick. I mean, she, she, we saw her personal relationships with every person at the swap. I actually love the way she plays the swap. We see how she approaches every person. She gets in good with pretty much all of them. And she has a pretty good relationship with Nick for a while. But I think personally, there was just a little bit of some love goggles happening. And not the goggles that uh, Darnell lost. 
But <laughs> no, you're right, because I do feel like in the pre-merge, a lot of people were talking about a Debbie winner edit and potentially, you know, the bottom is going to fall out for her game after the merge, at least in terms of the eyes of the viewers. But yeah, a lot of people were talking about uh, Debbie's game and nobody is giving her a shot in this new season, maybe other than yourself, Shannon. I thought she was going to win through the pre-merge. I mean, I think episodes three through six is peak Debbie. She's shown so much. We see so much of her. Beyond that, her strategy through the pre-merge is amazing, starting with the Liz Blind side, which, as I said, was exceptionally well done by her. Then, even after the Liz Blind side, she is the first person to approach Peter and is really comforting to him. Through the swap, she we see all her individual relationships. She's kind of running the relationship through the swap. And even at the swap, there's no real chance of her going home. Her name's never really mentioned. And we see, you know, that the producers are showing her to be correct. Instead of showing her as ridiculous, which they did in the first couple of episodes, when she has a confessional about how people perceive her, we see that they actually perceive her like that. So she's shown to be intelligent and strategic and have good connections. We see Debbie also starting to try to work with Sydney, And she brings up the idea that she really wants a woman to win the game. And she really likes Sydney and she likes how, you know, obviously uh, her conditioning, she's really impressed with her. So the idea of wanting a woman to win, was that a co-wrong thing for Debbie? Or do you think that that is a fundamental part of her character as a survivor? Definitely a Debbie thing because she works so much better with women, as I said, especially young women. She has the maternal thing. I'll tell you actually what Sydney says about her in that scene. She says, Debbie seemed really authentic. She has a very motherly vibe and it could be good for me to have a mother figure out here. So I think that prime allies to Debbie are going to be young girls who are kind of flocking to her as this maternal figure. And she puts that idea of a woman winning out into the ether. And that really comes together in the post-merge with the Women's Alliance. So that could be really good for her game in season 34. Did you see any signs of future trouble ahead for Debbie at this point, post-swap? Post-swap? Not really. Post-merge is where the wheels kind of fall off the cart. But if she plays like she did, you know, episodes three through six... I think she could go really far. Because ultimately, we're going to see that Kyle, Jason, and Sydney are going to side with the beauties instead of the brains. Did her and Neil misplay anything at this point in the game? Well, because they never went to tribal, it's hard to know what they could have done. I don't think that the beauties would have voted out Debbie. I think that they would have gone for Neil because she had those really good relationships with Michelle and with Sydney. But I do think that her personality and maybe Neil's personality didn't gel well with someone like Kyle Jason. And um, Neil, I think, made the brains look really threatening as well. Yeah, especially when he has the hidden immunity idol yeah. around the time of the merge. Okay, so we end up now where we get to a merge situation and Debbie has uh, some interesting quotes at this point in the game. She talks about how it's time to go on offense. People are going to play defensively. She is going to go and start to be really aggressive at this point. So how did that play out to you on the rewatch? The offense comments are some of the worst things Debbie does. I mean, it's not good to always be on the offense. Debbie in particular really needs to be on the defense sometimes. And also in saying that, that she's the only one on the offense, she completely underestimates her opponents, which is really one of the worst sins you can do in Survivor. At the merge, something switches in Debbie and Ponderosa, she says it's a lack of glucose to her brain, but her approach is really bad at the merge, particularly in what I call the nightmare Ty scene, where she aggressively approaches Ty in a group of people. She kind of strong arms him into an alliance. When she's done, she audibly says in front of him, we got him which is terrible. And the worst part about it is that she doesn't communicate that she's going to do that with her allies. 
I mean, Aubrey has just spent days with Ty. She doesn't go to, to Aubrey before and ask if Ty is a good target for them to um, to align with. And Aubrey and Neil are clearly not on board with her just acting unilaterally, with her going rogue and just doing what she wants and not communicating with her allies. Shannon, what do you chalk that up to? Is that just how Debbie plays when she's feeling like that there is a bad situation? Or do you feel like that she was just taking matters into her own hands? She always tries to be the general and not the soldier. Ironically, she was a soldier. But yeah, she's always trying to take the lead. And it's not always, it's very actually rarely good to be the leader, especially as an older woman. So I think that's just her. But in saying that, the brains were really desperate at the merge and it showed like the desperation really showed on a lot of them, but mostly in Debbie. Can you talk about her relationship with Joe? How did that get to be so tight? I think her and Joe just clicked. They're both from the military. They both were the two older people and they just seem to really respect each other, um, which I think they both hold really high, really high regard. Neil ends up being medevaced from the game. Does Debbie have any sort of reaction to that? We know that Aubrey gets very upset to have Neil go home, but does Debbie really ever discuss this? I think she, she's sad about Neil. He was obviously a huge ally for her and him going puts the brains in an even worse situation. She doesn't know that Neil and Aubrey were talking about how much of a liability she was and how she was turning potential swing votes away with her aggressive manner and by going rogue as an ally. So I don't know if Neil was actually a really good good for her game, but definitely the way she saw it, it was bad for him to leave at that point. This is the point in the game where we're going to have sort of a rebellion come together where Kyle Jason and Scott Pollard and Ty and Nick seem like they are all together, but we have some scenes where Sydney is going to spot Nick talking to Julia and Michelle about what's going on. And then uh, she's really going to get together with Aubrey. Eventually, uh, Debbie and Joe are part of this as well. How important of a cog was Debbie in the vote to take out Nick? Well, as I said, she was the one who put the idea out into the ether of a women's alliance. And here we see it coming together. Also, she, you know, she's resting on the laurels of a of really good relationship she's formed with Sydney, Michelle, and Aubrey. And this is one of my favorite episodes for Debbie because, yes, she is a cog in the machine. Sometimes you need to be a cog and not the person running the show. You know, Sydney is the one who runs this episode, and Debbie just goes with the plan. She actually goes for the flow for once in this game, and she just relies on her relationships, and it saves her. I think that this is exactly how she needs to play a lot of season 34 hanging back, relying on some really good relationships that she can form instead of having to dig her heels in, be the person to have to pick the name. She can just go with the flow of her alliance. So I get that she can do that when it's a person that she thinks should go home. But can you ever see Debbie doing that sort of like what we attribute to Sandra so much, the anybody but me, the Debbie, this is not the person you would ideally like to go home at this point, but will she just sort of grin and bear it? I'm so glad you said the thing about Sandra because that's exactly what Debbie needs. She needs the anyone but me strategy. Although I will say, as we said, she has love goggles for Nick. I don't think she she says she doesn't want Nick to go home. She'd rather it was, you know, Scott or Jason. And the Debbie that we're used to seeing would actually dig her heels in and say it has to be Scott or Jason. But for once... She allows it to be Nick, someone she seems to personally like, who she you know, wasn't really working with, but who she had like a better personal relationship with than the Braun boys. And that's the best thing for her game. Now, Debbie seems to be set up remarkably well at this point in the game. The Women's Alliance has come together. They voted five strong with her number one key ally, 
Joe to take <laughs> out Nick, yet she's going to go home at the next tribal council. So can you take us through what ultimately is going to go so wrong for Debbie? Um, okay, well, there's a few things. I will defend Debbie a little bit and say some of this is bad luck. Of the nine people left, four people that I think the majority alliance would be happy to see go home are immune. The three boys with two idols or a super idol, it's hard to know what everyone knew about the idols, but they knew that there were idols out there and it was a very scary proposition to go for those boys. And then Julia, who's playing the middle and who everyone's really wary of, she wins immunity. So of the nine people, four are already immune and that leaves the majority alliance to kind of have to turn on themselves. In saying that, Debbie does make a lot of mistakes here. I think that she kind of harpoons her own game for Julia. Aubrey comes to her and says all these logical things about why they have to go for the boys, but if they can't go for the boys, they have to go for Julia because she's playing the middle and the boys are too well protected. Debbie says to her, I'm listening to you, but ends the conversation by saying, I will not vote for Julia. I will not. So that's not great, like, listening to your allies. It's not a very good conversation to have. She knows her allies are wary of Julia. She will not turn on Julia. She tells Julia her entire plan in front of everyone, which Julia immediately runs and tells the boys. I'm just not sure why she sacrificed her entire game for Julia, who later in the episode is asked to vote for Debbie and does it without question. I mean, she only met Julia a few days before at the merge, and she sacrifices her entire game by digging her heels in and saying that Julia can't go. Well, you talked about Debbie. Debbie's maternal instincts. Do you think that the age of Julia is sort of blinding Debbie to that? I'm sure she's probably very close in age to Debbie's own kids. Yeah, I mean, I think she does feel maternal towards all these girls. She likes Julia and and she's too emotional. I think there's the fact that she likes Julia is one thing. And the fact that she hates the boys is another thing. This is when they're throwing water on the fire hiding the machete and she is so she hates that so much that she has to see one of them go enough that she's not logically seeing that you can't vote for one of them because they have these idols and do you feel like that she's feeling that way more because she really wants this women's thing to work or does she have sort of like a pride and an integrity in terms of that they are behaving badly in an unbecoming way that's bad sportsmanship outside of the game and that's something that she just can't stand for it's definitely an integrity thing she she's so loathsome of them at this time and i just think that she can't see past it and she's way too emotional and she goes for them even though they have the idols which is a terrible strategic move so she's righteous yes um that's a little bit of the coach thing yeah she can be pretty pretty righteous at that point um and she's just angry and she just wants peace back at camp i think she doesn't want the bullies to win yeah but it's terrible move. And unfortunately for Debbie, Julia is going to win this immunity, which then causes a shift in the plans. Who is the person that's most responsible for Debbie going home? Debbie. (laughs) I mean, even if Julia didn't win immunity, they wouldn't have had the votes to vote out Julia without Debbie. And Debbie was not budging. But I would say Debbie torpedoes her own game here by being super stubborn, by not listening to her allies. I would say it's her fault and a bit of unfairness and, un- and bad luck with the idols. And yeah, those are the two main reasons she goes home. But is Aubrey the architect of this or would you say it's Sydney? It's definitely Aubrey. And the betrayal is the worst with Aubrey. With Aubrey and Debbie's relationship, I see a lot of like the Dawn Brenda thing. You know, when you, you care for someone and you feel like 
you're responsible for keeping them in the game in a moment of real weakness. And then they turn around and blindside you. The betrayal is so deep. Um, It's definitely Aubrey. And I don't think Aubrey wants to do it. I think all the girls are a bit upset to vote out Debbie, but they feel like they have no choice. They think Debbie's a greater danger to them than the boys because they don't know what she'll do next. And that's really scary. So Debbie is going to go home at that tribal council at the final nine. Total blindside. She did not see it coming. Well, she didn't see it coming, but if you were to listen to exit interviews, she did. So she's definitely blindsided. Not canon. Okay. Well, I want to talk about Debbie's exit interview in a moment, but let's just fast forward to the finale and uh, the jury questions. And so what did Debbie want to know in the Korong final tribal council? She was really very complimentary of Aubrey to the point where I think a lot of people thought she voted for Aubrey. She mainly addressed Aubrey from what we saw. And she asked if Aubrey would have done the same thing for her when she was comforting her in the first episode. Obviously, Aubrey says yes. And she says she's really proud of Aubrey and really respects her and then doesn't give her her vote. Okay, what do we make of this? Was she just messing with Aubrey or was it that there might have been something that was cut where then she went on to say, but really, Michelle, you're the greatest. I think Michelle has said that she was also very complimentary of her and we didn't see it. But I think that she was really proud of Aubrey. I think she has a lot of affection for Aubrey. At the same time, as soon as she was voted out at Ponderosa, she said that she would never give Aubrey her vote. In her Jury Speaks video, she says that she won't vote for Aubrey because she betrayed her and she went back on her word. At the same time at Ponderosa, Nick asks her, who would you be friends with from this cast? And the first person she says is Aubrey. So I think she's separating her strategic betrayal from her personal feelings of affection for Aubrey. She's proud, but not enough to give her a winning vote. Of course, uh, these two people are going to be playing both in season 34. What do you think is the status of that relationship? I mean, I don't know their relationship outside of the game. I don't think that they're very vitriolic people. So I think that they would have an okay relationship, but I don't see how either of them could work together again. I don't think Debbie will ever really trust Aubrey again. I don't think Aubrey would ever want the headache that is Debbie Wanner as an ally again. It already was pretty costly the first time. And plus she didn't get, I mean, not that I don't think she would care that much, but Debbie's vote for her was a vote she probably should have got. And that was a costly thing for her not to get. So it'll be interesting to watch. Sometimes I think better the devil you know, maybe they'll help each other out. But that is not a 39-day alliance from what I can see. Do you find that Debbie is a vengeful person, if you had to guess? Uh, well, when the boys threw the water on the fire, she wanted to eat Mark the chicken. So uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. maybe. But I don't know if she's going to go out of her way to hurt Aubrey. I think she likes Aubrey too much, but I just think that there's no trust there to form a real alliance. Again. You mentioned Mark the chicken. What is the status of Debbie's relationship with Ty? How did she seem towards him? Yeah, again, she doesn't give him her vote either. And they never really work together. They had that really awkward scene where she tried to align with him. But I, again, I don't think that either of them is such a vengeful person that it could be a really bitter relationship. I think they could work together because they know each other. They didn't really screw each other over because they didn't owe that much to each other. I think they could work together. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Okay, so let's talk about when I had my conversation with Debbie. Uh, There was a lot of stuff going on where I wasn't able to connect with her the day after that episode aired. I was on the road and I was having uh, technical issues. I ended up talking to her a couple days later after (laughs) she had done all her other exit interviews. So... Any interesting discoveries about Debbie from my conversation with her? I mean, her conversation with you, I think, is just so not canon. I mean, it aired so long after Ko Rong 
was filmed. But beyond that, just Debbie rewrites history in her own mind, I think. There were some interesting things. She says, of course, that she wasn't blindsided. She says she would have gone to the end with Ty and Aubrey, which I think is a little bit of a spoiler in hindsight, considering she knows that they both lose at the end. Well, also a spoiler that she probably knew that they were going to be playing all together in season 34. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a good thing that she says she would have worked with them to the end. And it's also kind of disrespectful that she's like, I could have beaten both of them. So I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, Yeah, and the fact that she keeps saying that it wasn't a blindside when she was clearly blindsided. Another really funny thing from her exit interviews and from Ponderosa is that she keeps changing how much weight she lost, Mm -hmm. which is like, it sounds like a small thing, but it's just like typical Debbie. Like, why is this, like, why are you rewriting history in your mind? It's like, facts should be facts, not alternative facts. I mean, that speaks to me as something that's problematic for her moving forward if she doesn't have like a firm grasp on the truth in terms of what's happening to her in a given season. That's the most worrying thing for me as well, because I think that her mistakes are pretty fixable because we're asking her to act less, not more. We're asking her to do really simple things like talk more to your allies, talk less to everyone else and be a little bit less annoying. But the way that you change your game is you have to have a degree of humility and introspection to know what to change. And she will have just seen season 32 when she went out of season 34. So she has seen those confessionals of people saying she's annoying. She has all the tools to know what to change, but I worry that she's not viewing it right. Actually, I have this quote from her at Ponderosa, and it's the most worrying thing I viewed of her. She said, in this game, everyone was boss. Everyone wanted to dictate. And I just said, you know what? I'll sit back, let you struggle to start a fire for two days. I'll get up, start a fire in five minutes and chuckle. Now, that's super worrying because none of that happened. So (laughs) I don't know what happened in her mind that she thinks she ate, started a fire, which she couldn't do, and that annoyed everyone. And that she wasn't dictating to everyone. She thinks that she was sitting back, which isn't what happened. Also, that's not necessarily a great survivor move. I know how to do something, but I'm just going to sit here and not say anything and let you struggle with it. We have seen uh, some survivors, some uh, some first boots, I think, memorably mm-hmm. also have that same approach. Yeah, I mean, that's not good. And also what she actually did was bad, which was tell everyone she could do anything, try and then fail. Yeah, which was yeah. also not a good strategy. So either way. So I think we're sort of keying into what works with Debbie is when she's in a relationship that she is able to suck some kneecaps. She gets uh, some respect from that person. I think Joe Del Campo is a great ally for her because I think he's the kind of guy that doesn't ask a lot of questions. Whereas I think the more inquisitive an ally is where if they're like asking questions, I could see like a Peter or a Liz potentially being like, what is it you say that you do again? So I'm sorry, where did you say you got that degree from? I think that the more people have those types of questions, the more off-putting Debbie can be for those people. And I feel like that tie probably could have been a good ally for her way back when. We'll see if it works out. But I think that the, the more people have questions for her, the less she's able to build that trust. And again, that's such an important thing, especially with these all-star seasons. Yeah, I think she wants a few good soldiers she can lead, like a Joe Del Campo. But I have to wonder how many soldiers there are in season 34, because most returnees you know, try to be the leader. Okay, well, let's talk about some of the people that she's going to play with. You know, it's too bad she couldn't have gotten Beast Mode Cowboy on her tribe, because I feel like that that would be uh, a very good ally for Debbie. I don't know 
so much, actually. Why? The alpha males and Debbie do not get along. I think that these alpha males are really dismissive of, of her as kind of like the crazy old lady. And she doesn't respect that they are dismissive of her. And can and like any of these like big male personalities, I think is what she kind of presses back against. Yeah. The best allies for her are the younger women that she feels like look like, you know, feel like her daughters and she's really maternal towards. And there's a lot of those on season 34. So that's great. I would say in the case of Beast Mode Cowboy that he was ready to let the women of the beauty tribe just sort of like take the reins and lead him. So I think that he might be an exception to uh, the alpha male leader type, but I definitely understand what you're saying. Yeah, I just feel like if he's going to have like a big personality, it's just something that she just inherently fights back against. But yeah, I mean, if he's willing to let her lead him, that's what she wants. So that could be good. Okay, so let's talk about the people that Debbie is out here playing with. Now, we've talked about young women. We have at least a couple of them here in Debbie's tribe in Andrea and fan favorite Sierra Don Thomas. But we also have some of these alpha males that you say could potentially be a problem. So where do you want to start with this breakdown of Debbie? Well, the women I feel good about, the younger women, even Suri is someone that we've seen her, um, we've seen Suri obviously make an all-women's alliance, so that's something they could do together. Yes, so I agree. Yeah, so that could be good. And then some of the beta males, as you said, I I see no reason why she can't work with Ty. I think someone like Zeke um, could really tune into the wackiness and, and enjoy that element of her, so that could be good. Yeah, I think that could be as well. I also think another person that could be a good ally for Debbie is Sarah Lucina. I think that uh, Debbie has certainly been complimentary of people like Sydney. I think mm-hmm. another tough blue collar woman, I think is somebody else that Debbie could get along with in Sarah. Definitely. I think she'll respect her, which is a big thing for Debbie. And I think Andrea, she's been through the ringer with Philip. I think that she knows how <laughs> to handle a complicated personality. I think that you're right. Debbie with these women looks okay. It's yeah. really the big three in terms of these alpha males that are on this tribe in terms of Brad Culpepper, JT, and Ozzy. How do you think that those guys where a lot of the conventional wisdom going into the season is that those three guys are probably shoe wins to work together. Do you think they identify Debbie as somebody who's with them or against them? Well, if Debbie likes JT half as much as coach did, that should be an okay relationship. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Brad Culpepper and Ozzy are the two big red flags for me because they're very much leaders, especially if someone like Brad Culpepper. And if she's coming up against them, if she's telling them, oh, this is how you make fire. Like you can't be telling Ozzy how to make fire. So I think that could be a huge thing. And I think that if she annoys those two in particular and they have the power, plus if they see her as a physical liability, I'm sure they would, even though that's so unfair. She's actually not a physical liability, but if they just happen to see that she is by being an older woman, she could be an early boot. Why would they think she's a physical liability? Isn't she like doing pull-ups on the beach? I mean, some people might say if you have to do the pull-ups, you're trying to prove too much. Yeah. I think just the optics of being an older woman, like it's unfair, but it's true. They're going to look at the 50-year-old women compared to these like strong guys or younger women and say that she's a bigger liability. Plus, if she's annoying them as well, it's just icing on the cake. Yeah, we'll see. Which of those three guys do you think would probably be the most problematic for Debbie? JT, Brad, or Ozzy? Not JT. I think, yeah, Brad or Ozzy. Maybe Brad. Yeah. He, well, he's yeah. trying to do the all-male thing, so that's like the opposite of Debbie. Could Debbie be crushing on Ozzy at all? Uh, I think she's more likely to crush on JT. 
JT. Okay. That's my, that's my Debbie crush pick. Interesting. Yeah. That's probably they go one, two in the Debbie crush draft in terms of uh, people in her tribe. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, you know, identifying her too much with coach. She was definitely crushing on JT, but that's how I see it. <laughs> All right. What about over in uh, the other tribe, Shannon? What do you think about uh, some of these other people that are out there? Do you see any potential allies or enemies for Debbie? Yeah, I mean, all the younger women. Um, Michaela would be a really good ally for her as a younger woman. Sierra Easton, I think, could see her as a mom figure, as long as that doesn't make her vote her out, which would be bad. And then, yeah, mostly, I think mostly the younger women again. But if Aubrey is on the same beach as Debbie, you think that there's a chance they're going to work together? I just feel like that Aubrey is going to say, just have like flashbacks to at the merge. I can't trust Debbie. She's running around making all these other side plans. She's too unpredictable. I think that the thing is that Aubrey and Debbie are drawn to the same types of people, you know, the women and kind of against the big alpha males. So if they get to a swap or a merge and they're working with similar people, even someone like a Ty who they might have in common, they might have to work together. And I don't think that they're vitriolic enough to cut it if they end up in an alliance. I don't think they're going to go out of their way to make it happen. But if they happen to get to a merge and they find themselves kind of in the same space, they might keep going with it but not outright try and make an alliance. Okay. What about some of the men over on this other tribe? Could you see Debbie functioning with a team TV? (laughs) Wow. I would love to see that. I don't know how it would go. They're both insane, but yeah, let's, let's add spy shack to, you know, Debbie's repertoire. Yes. Yes. I think that that would be perfect if we can make that happen. Uh, What anybody else from this group that you think is an interesting pairing for Debbie, positive or negative? Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I think that her biggest problems are Brad and Ozzy, which is unfortunate. I don't know if anyone's like a huge problem on that tribe. Shannon, what is your Debbie prediction? Um, This is difficult. She's so hard to peg down. I wouldn't be surprised if she High variance. Yes, exactly. The only thing I can guarantee you is that you will get sound bites out of her. Ding, ka-ching, ka-ching. That's my prediction. I know that I'm being a bit of a fence sitter. I think she could go out first. I think she could be a goat. I think she could win. So she could do everything. We know that she could do anything, but Mm -hmm. gun to your head. Where does Debbie finish in this season? I think that... Early post-merge. Early post-merge. Trips up about the same time as last time. Okay. Blame it on the close. This is a tricky question for you. Will this be Debbie's last time playing Survivor? Um, if she, if she does the same thing as last time, I don't think we need to see it again. If she evolves, it's interesting to see how her character evolves. But yeah. I would say it, it could be her last time. Especially I, if she goes out really early. I think the fascinating thing to watch with her is going to be... You have these characters that are sort of these big personalities in their first time. They see it on TV. And then when they go back, do they try to do something new or they say, hey, this was working like gangbusters last time. Let me really play it up for the cameras this time. And I think that could really wear on the audience if that's the case. I mean, I don't think that Debbie's going out looking for screen time. I know that someone like Coach and Philip, that was a really big priority for them. But I think when Debbie's playing up her craziness and playing up the court jester role, it's actually for strategic reasons. She wants to be underestimated and overlooked by being in plain sight. So for me, that was the only reason that Debbie ever played up her kookiness and it wasn't really a TV thing. I don't think that would be a huge consideration for her. Now, Shannon, I know you're such a big Debbie supporter. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did to really get the fans pumped up about Debbie? 
Yes. Well, I have organized to have Debbie's resume put to music. Um, this is our very own version of the Wanner Room, not the Wiggle Room. I don't want any beef with Josh Wiggler, like one of Debbie's previous crushes. But I will say that this is a song put together by Billy Garcia and Survivor Borneo's Joe Klug. Very random pairing. But they have put together Debbie's resume in song form. Civil Air Patrol Captain, Photonics Manufacturing, Juggler, Waitress and Chemist, Bartender and Mum. Electronics Expert, Red Lobster, you're getting served, Puzzles laying down for her, Caretaker to nuns. Modeled all around the globe, has the biggest frontal lobe, nothing that she doesn't know, like a girl version of coach. Piano pull-ups, weightlifting, 40 cats ain't a bad thing, survivor, play a game changer, don't you underestimate her, she couldn't stop the fire. She told her tribe she could, and it wasn't good, but Debbie's back on Survivor, and she could get it right, it's a total blindside. Yes, wow, how about that? Yeah, well, thank you to Billy Garcia and Joel Klug for taking time out of your busy schedule. Yes, my favorite, my favorite. Excellent work, Shannon. And I love the Debbie anthem. And we'll see how it all goes for Debbie. I don't have super high hopes for Debbie in uh, season 34, but I just hope that uh, she gives us some uh, fun moments along the way. I think wherever she goes out, we'll have some fun with her. And I think, is she still Nicole's pick for winner? Do you think oh, that she we got to check with her. We got to ask her what she's going to think about that. You know, Nicole picked up on the whole maternal thing with Debbie. That's why she made her the winner pick. Yeah, I forgot I about that. Pick. Yeah, so, Nicole Stradamus. You know, if Nicole is signing off on Debbie, I think we can both do the same. All right. Well, we'll see. I think that Debbie's best weapon is that she's going to be underestimated. And I think that people might think that she's just a kooky character. If she can stay out of her own way, I do think that she can make a deep run. She's her own worst enemy. She can just change those things. As I said, have a little bit of clarity about what went wrong. She can make a she can make a good case for herself. Shannon. If people want to reach out to you to talk about Debbie or anything else that you're up to, where do people find you? On Twitter, I'm at Shannon Gates. That's S-H-A-N-N-O-N-G-A-I-T-Z. Joe, I like ending it with the Z. And uh, we'll see uh, what we have in store for the Rupert Tweets game uh, in season 34. Have you liked the addition of the Rupert bot? Yeah, I love that. I was like, people keep adding to my legacy. This is what's going to be written on my tombstone. Yes. Well, Rupert himself isn't always tweeting during Survivor, but the Rupert bot is even tweeting on Wednesday nights when there's not Survivor. My favorite moment ever was when Rupert kind of caught on to the fact that we were playing the Rupert tweet game when people started tagging you. And he was like, is he playing my tweets on his show? That was the highlight of my year last year. <laughs> I liked it when I think the person said, like, that's a real Rupert tweet. And he's like, I know, I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing ever. Yes, more of that, please. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for all of the Debbie research. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. And all the best to Debbie in season 34. Thanks, Rob. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody, there you have it. Shannon Gates talking about Debbie Wanner. Really love that song. So many people have done really fun things about the people they've been covering in this series. And Shannon does a great job combining two of my great loves, Survivor and all things Billy Joel. I'm very excited. I'm going to go see Billy Joel again this May when he's going to be at Dodger Stadium. 
I saw him a couple of years ago during Kagiyan, right at the end of Survivor Kagiyan, back at the Hollywood Ball. So I'm excited for my second Billy Joel concert coming up this spring. But enough Billy Joel. Let me tell you what's coming up on Wednesday on this Game Changer podcast series. We have got another great episode coming up when we're going to talk about the return of Mr. Survivor, the original Mr. Survivor, Malk, Malcolm Freeberg, going to go through everything with, from his game with Puya from the So You Think You Can podcast competition. He did a really fun job, very elaborate deep dive into all things Malcolm. Again, I think we got into some really interesting stuff about trying to understand Malcolm and the way he plays Survivor. That's coming up on Wednesday. And then we're going to be talking Sarah Lacina with Lindsay Wilson, and we'll get into what she did in Survivor Kagiyan and what adjustments she might need to make here in Survivor Game Changers. That's coming up on Wednesday in episode number six of our Game Changers cast preview series. So if you want to make sure you don't miss any of these, of course, subscribe to the podcast. Rob has a website.com slash iTunes. Of course, thanks so much to the patrons of Rob has a podcast who do make all of this podcasting about nonsense possible. We're always having a lot of fun with the patrons. I thought we had one of the most out of control patron five for fives with Nicole and I the other night. So if you want to find out more about that and see a behind the scenes video about what I do to make this podcast, go to Rob as a website.com slash Patron. That's robiswebsite.com slash patron or click on one of the banners of robiswebsite.com. All right. So looking forward to hearing what you guys thought about my conversation about Ozzy and Debbie in the comments on robiswebsite.com. And of course, I do always love to get your feedback on Twitter. I'm at Rob Sesternino. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.